and we're live with Liberty DeVito on Game Changers. Hi, Lib. Hi, Vicky. All right, so we have the usual every time. Lib, we have like bad luck with this stuff. I'm no kidding. This is like silly. What? Okay, so the last time. Okay, so this is counterintuitive. When you think you have to move left, you actually have to move right. Okay, so now I. All right. Wait, I'm, so, gonna, I'm gonna go sit down. Hold on. Okay, go sit down because now I'm seeing, I'm seeing the, the reflection in the back before. Okay, wait. That's that's that. Wait, keep the dark background. The dark background's better. What, go, go, go the other way to there you go. Your dark background. That's good. Okay. It's more contrast for your for your beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Don't put the fan. See, the fan is in the top. Move it so the fan's not in it. Everybody, you don't mind doing a tech check with us. Okay, okay. We did, okay. A, we did a tech check before. We did a tech check. Everything was perfect. And then as soon as we decided to to go live, we have a problem. And for those, for those of you who weren't with us the last time Lib was with us in New York, we were sitting in my mother's dining room all set up ready to go we've been talking for an hour and then as soon as it was time to go live her internet went out we had to run into the den and reset everything up so that's kind of the way it is all right so big deal we're here now liberty i'm so excited for everybody out there who uh has not yet bought this book why not life Billy, and the pursuit of happiness liberty life billy and the pursuit of happiness and you are a best-selling author liberty devito can you believe it? Can you believe? It? I can't believe it. It's it's fantastic. It's so you know, and I I know about this because I had a, an Amazon bestseller too, number one, and it's very is that is the most when you see number one, is that the most exciting thing like ever? It, you know, this, Vicky, this is the first time I've done something on my own. You know, I've been in Billy Joel's band, and right? The went to number one, but it was Billy Joel's band, right? This is like me. I yes. wrote this. <laughs> you wrote this. It's really, yes, it's you. It's all you. It's everybody loving you. It's so exciting. It's and, so intense. Okay, so let's talk about this process. We're, we're going to come back to other things, but let's talk about the book for a second because okay. how does a drummer get a book deal? Like, how did this happen for you? Well, I started writing this book as a, a, a memoir of my family. You know, uh, so and much. I have to tell you, you have one wacky fucking family. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> you have a wacky family. Yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, my grandmother, I think she stood up uh, maybe for uh, six months out of her out of her lifetime. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and not that she was sick. No, no, no. she was sick. She was on her back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making, making children, you know. <laughs> So I, I wanted this history for my children to, to know where her their grandparents came from and what my father did in World War II and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then, then the bottom fell out with me and Billy. And I started to write about me and Billy. You know? right. And um, I was very angry when that, that was happening. And uh, so it took on a, to a totally different uh, uh, path that it was taking. It was this angry path. Right. So um, I kind of like um, over the years would put it away, then take it out and write again. Because and people would say, like, why don't you write a book? Well, you know, oh, you should write a book. You got some great stories. And I was like, I nobody wants to read my stories. What do they want to read my stories for? But 
So I went to some different publishers and they were like, yeah, it's good, but we want the dirt. You know, we want dirt because as you I know, grew- You hadn't written the dirt the first time around? I, well, I did. I was, uh, yeah, I, there was a lot of people I didn't like the first time around, but yeah. I think with age, I kind of mellowed out. And with the help of a life coach, it, it made me mellow out. And um, so- <laughs> I have one of those. Liberty, do me a favor. Go back to where there was dark behind you because uh, it's hard to see your face with the white background. So I want everybody to see your face. <laughs> that, that's better. There's, there's that, better contact that way, yeah. We're lean against this wall right okay. here. Okay. And, um, okay, getting back to the book. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I love your show. <laughs> it's serious. You know, when we used to make mistakes on stage, people say, well, weren't you embarrassed you made mistakes on stage? Yeah, but then people knew it was live. This is this is live. We're live, and we're, we're yeah. And when you and I get together, it's always mistakes. But that's all right. That's all right. So now I'm looking at the fan behind you. No, you got to move. You need dark background. No, not, not no white behind you, because then I can't see your face. Go I'm back to the, the other room where it's dark behind you, just not with the fan and the thing. We're gonna set this shot because ah. Is that better? Um, um, all right, do that, do that, do that, do that. Do this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're looking at my bathroom. <laughs> no, I know, I'm looking at your, your reflection in the mirror. It's fine. So, all right, so so you were going around to publisher. So wait, wait, when did you start writing the book? How long ago? 15 years ago. I, 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 my I, own. I more, more than that, because I interviewed my parents. I interviewed my parents, I interviewed my aunts. You know, uh, everybody that was still alive from that generation. And you really got the dope on your family. Oh, my yeah. God. I did. I did. And, okay. Uh, you so started a long time ago. Go ahead. And then I'm, so I'm writing. And, yeah. And then uh, I would do drum clinics. And yeah. I would tell stories of how the songs were put together with Billy. And right. People were like, you should write a book about this because nobody knows how songs are put together in the studio. Right. So I started to write that stuff down. And I started to write about what happened with me and Billy and, you know, stuff like that. And um, but as I aged, I think I matured a little bit. And I uh, when I finally was reading the book again, it was like I was reading it from an angry point of view. Right. And I wasn't angry anymore after after years of a life coach. After well, years you, of have, you have recovery. We'll talk about that later, too. You you also yes. have recovery. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. So after years of that, you know, uh, mellowing out and everything, and, and now having my family back, you know, my girls, and after divorces, because I got divorced at the same time as split with Billy. So now I'm not that angry anymore. So I, I thought, like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different approach at this. I am, gonna, oops, I am going to um, see what it's like to be in Billy's shoes, mm -hmm. what he went through as an artist. You know, um, and, and I kind of looked at it like this guy is on the marquee. His name is on the marquee. Right. So he's got to write a, an album that has 14 songs on it. He's the only one that's writing. I mean, Elton has Bernie. Uh, the Eagles have each other. Right. Uh, John had Paul. Uh, you know, Billy is just Billy. Right. So, and he's got to write 14 songs, which three or four of them have to be top 40 hits. You know? Yeah. So and he plays piano, he sings. So I'm, I'm looking at it like, you know, he is under a lot of pressure. Right. All the time. And then he goes home 
And he's and when he was married to the supermodel, you know, Christy, he was under a lot of pressure then too. So I bet. Here is I'm there, the drummer, and I'm right. getting pissed at him because I want to go on the road in April and uh, in, in March, and he wants to go out in April. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Let's go out now. And he's like, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, you know. So I understand why he let some people go, why he changed producers. He had to stay current, you know, change the band sometimes. He had to stay current. Why he got rid of me? He had to try something else. You know, so I I kind of got it after that. Well, at the time, I, I, I know the story, but tell everybody the story of how you found out that you were, after 30 years, you were no longer Billy Joel's drummer. Oh, yeah, that was a treat. Yeah. Um, I um, actually, uh, he was getting married to his second second wife. Second, right. No, third wife, third wife, sorry. <laughs> Still quite a few. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, uh, I I called the um, the keyboard player and I said, you know, I guess we're not invited to the wedding. We I, I didn't get an invitation. He said, I got mine. And it was like, oh, oh, oh. something's going on. You know, oh. uh, something's happening. And that's when I started to hear that he was getting ready to go on the road. And I wasn't getting a phone call. So, you know, it was, it, you know, in, in this business, they, 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 they don't, you don't get fired. You just uh, are asked not to do the next thing. So, so you didn't have the kind of relationship with him that you could just pick up the phone and say, Billy, what the fuck is going on? Well, that's what I should have done. What I should have done was I should have stood in his driveway and waited till he, he, he drove out of the driveway and stopped him. But I didn't do that because my Sicilian temper got the best of me. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, forget him. Forget it. I don't care what he does. I, I just... I, Freak him. And yeah. he's the same way. Like, freak him. You know, because it was a he said, she said thing. That's why um, he heard something from somebody that he believed that I did and said. And because he didn't confront me, I never knew what it was. So, yeah. So, I mean, once we finally met and he told me what it was, I said, no, I, I never did that. I don't know what you're talking about. And he believed you. Yes. Okay, so now the last time I saw you, you and Billy had not reconciled yet. Like when I saw the forward to the book, I was like, okay, we've had new information. This is new information. Yeah. So, so how did that happen? Well, um, I wrote him an email after all this, you know, we, we've been going back and forth in interviews and stuff like, uh, just kind of like, not bad-mouthing everybody, but anybody, but... Um, just kind of like not not being very friendly to each other. Right. And um, so I wrote him and I said, you know, Billy, I, I think it's time for the piano drum feud to be over. So uh, he immediately wrote me back and, and said, I, I, I felt bad too the way we parted. So I, I, I said, let's meet for a meal. You know, we'll meet. For, I was flying down to Florida where he was living. At the time. Now wait, how many years is this? This is like 15 years later or something? Oh yeah, this is this is happening last February. Okay. Just February just passed, yeah. Okay. So um, I we we met for breakfast, and now I knew he had changed because he said to me, I said, let's meet for dinner. I'm flying in on on this day, and and right. I'm getting in at this time. 
why don't we meet for dinner? I can make it to the restaurant. Pick a restaurant. I'll, I'll meet you there. He uh -huh. said, well, no, 8 o'clock, you know, I kind of put the girls to sleep because he says young kids now. So I knew that, okay, this is a different guy now. <laughs> yeah. Because you know? we were the party people for the longest yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we met for breakfast the next day. And we met at a diner, a really like greasy spoon kind of diner. <laughs> He had, he had eggs and bacon and I had pancakes and, mm -hmm. and we just talked about who had died that we were involved with, who was sick, um, how our older kids are doing and how, what it's like being parents, uh, fathers again at, at having young children at this elderly age. You know, so it was just one of those conversations. And then he said, why did you want to get together? Kind of a nostalgic thing. And I said, right. yeah. Billy, I said, Billy, we, we made a lot of great music that people loved. It yeah. really shame that we weren't talking to each other. You know? So, you know, then but before we left, we were together for about an hour and a half. Yeah. Then before we um, parted, we talked about, uh, I said, so what, what's the future for Billy Joel? And he told me, you know, what he plans on doing with the touring and, you know, it's getting old and all that kind of stuff. And, and he asked me what I'm doing. And in that conversation, I told him about the bands I play with. And, you know, Lord of 52nd Street, he says he keeps getting reviews, great reviews of the band. Nice. Great, because it really helps me. You look good, I look good. <laughs> yeah. So, so for, everybody, for anybody who doesn't know, tell them about the Lords of 52nd Street for a second, so people... Okay, Lords of 52nd Street is a band that, that uh, was put together because myself, Richie Cannata, who played the horns on all those great, you know, still rock and roll of me. And some, and some keyboard also, right? What's that? Didn't Richie also play some keyboard with Billy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the guy. When, when yeah. Richie left the band, it took two guys to replace him. Right. Um, so there was him and Russell Javers, who played guitar with, the, with mm -hmm. the original Billy Joel band. So we took the name Lords of 52nd Street, which Phil gave us, Phil Ramon gave us on the sleeve of the, 52nd Street album, uh, when he listed the credits, you know. Right. The Lord of So we got inducted with the late Doug Stegmaier into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Now, I was still angry then, and I did not want to go. In oh, fact, wow. Yeah, in fact, I sent somebody else to do the sound check because they wanted us to play one song. So, uh -huh. you know, and I showed up late, and, you know, everybody was panicking and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was a real uh, diva then. <laughs> Were you still drinking then? What? Were you still drinking then? No, no, I had stopped. But I was still angry at that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I was being helped with my life coach. Allie Berlin, beautiful life coach. She's really helped me through a lot. And um, um, so I, I get there, the band plays, and mm -hmm. we do one song, the reaction is unbelievable. And so we ended up playing like five songs, just from memory of playing with Billy, you know? Wow. And um, so we thought, you know, there's a lot of these tribute bands that are doing this and making a great living at it. We're right. the real guys, we should be doing it. Mm -hmm. So as the, the Lords are, are playing and we start to go on the road, and we're booking dates and everything like that, I'm starting to love the music again. Because mm. all I can think about when I play the songs is what it was like to be in the studio and 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 look, you know, I looked at this guy for 30 years uh -huh. in the eye all the time, live in the studio, 
So I had the love for the music back, but I didn't have that guy that I looked at all the time. Right. And, and that's what I wanted back. I wanted my friend back. I didn't, I didn't care if we ever played together again. I just wanted my friend back again because we were so close with, in the music. Right. You know, and I know that he used to say when the, uh, managers would be negotiating with the rest of the band, he yeah. would say, I don't care what you do with the other guys, but I, make sure you take care of Liv, you know, because he always wanted me around. He took me to, when we went to Russia, we went to Tbilisi. He took me there as comic relief because he thought it was funny. <laughs> there was no drums. But, you know. Really? Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. That's so. But but you didn't open your breakfast with okay, let's get to it. But you did get to it. So how did you how did you segue into that conversation about okay, let's talk about what happened? Well, we we actually did not talk about what happened then. It was, oh. Yeah, no, we didn't talk about any bad things from the past. Nothing. Oh. It was all good stuff. We laughed, you know, um, talked about his boat, you know. And, um, you know, it was funny because when I first saw him, he said to me, he said, wow, you're so thin. And I said to him, I said, yeah, Billy, you're so, it's really good to see you, you know. <laughs> So, so we started joking right from the beginning, you know, yeah. like just like the, the time that we weren't together just didn't exist anymore. And um, so it was great. So after the breakfast, that's when I said that I, I was writing a book. I said, it's not bad. It's a good one. It's my life and the roads that I took to get to where I got. Right. You know, if you want to write the forward, it would be my uh, honor if you if you wrote it. And he goes, I'll write your forward. And then he writes, you went, mm, I'll write your forward. <laughs> <laughs> Very three stooges. Yeah. 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 So it was great. You know, and that's how that happened. Right. Now I got him back. And uh, so then how, did the how did the conversation about what had happened happen? We, well, we were emailing each other back and forth. And right. He wrote it in an email. He goes, This is why I did what I did. Somebody told me something that you did. And I wrote back and said, You can't say you can't say what it is. Huh? You, can't, you can't say what that is that somebody ratted you out on that wasn't true. No. Okay. I, no. Um, okay. It's it, she somebody said something to him that I said something about something he did and I didn't. So Okay. Mm -hmm. And he believed you as soon as you said that. Yeah. Good. And you know what? Since that time, our lives are great now. So why even hold, you know, it wasn't true, but even if it was true, why would you still hold this grudge when your life is, you're better now than it was? Right. My life is better now than it was. That's a one, that's wonderful. That's wonderful in so many ways. So, okay, so let's talk about some of the ways that your life is, but we're gonna go back. By the way, before we go further, I used to always spell your name the way it's spelt right here, D-E-B-V. But on Facebook, your book is Little V. And so I've adjusted to that. Now, why would you do Little V on Facebook? How is this the proper spelling of your name? It's Big V, yeah. It's Big V. So why on Facebook are you Little V? I have no idea. Because <laughs> I've been doing that because I thought maybe you changed the, the way you spell your name. I don't know. Vicki, you remember when, if you wanted to get in touch with somebody, you had to pick up this big piece of 
plastic and put it to your ear and then you dial, you know, a, a whole bunch of numbers, you know, remember that? Yeah. I'm still there. I'm still there. <laughs> you know, remember when you used to have to get up and turn the channel on TV? Remember that? You know, we are set. Okay, and speaking of which, on Saturday, Lib's birthday, it's a big birthday. I'm not going to, minor big birth, huge big birthday. But it's is, is that unfathomable? It, it's unbelievable that we're at this place in life, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. For so many years, I used to tell my parents, you must have made a mistake on my birth certificate. <laughs> No way I am the age that you're telling me I am. There's no way. You know, I, I play the drums. You've, you've seen and, and uh, you know, in, in uh, Hired Gun when, when we were playing together, me and Kenny. And, and it's like, it was teenagers. I had some woman come up to me after the show with the Lords. Yeah. Say, you know, I go down in front uh, after uh, Angry Iron Man and I just say something to the crowd. She said, until you walk down to that microphone, I thought you were some teenager playing drums. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. You gotta love that. So tell everybody how old your oldest daughter, four daughters, correct? Four, yes. And how old is the oldest and how old is the youngest? The oldest is 40. Then that's Devin. Devin is okay. Tori is 36. Marielle is 32. And May is three. <laughs> not 43, not 33, but three. Three. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, that'll keep you young. Yeah. Oh, it keeps me young. It keeps me young. They, or they all keep me young because, you know, they're. They're such good girls, all of them. Even even the baby is a great, you know, she's great. And the best part about the baby is, is that I'm seeing everything that I missed with the other ones. Because mm -hmm. we used to make an album and then go on the road. You know, right. it was constantly like that. Right. So half the things that this kid does, it was like, oh, wow, that's how you got to that point. <laughs> uh, you know? wow. I, think I, I think I heard you say to me last time that I used to be, a drummer who was a father, and now I'm a father who's a drummer. Exactly. That's right? Exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, and you do have amazing girls, so let's talk about them. Tell me about your daughters, because I, I remember last time my daughter was filming us, and she was freaking out because she was a big fan of Tori from One Tree Hill. And she was like the nasty nanny or something, right? Yeah, she was the really nasty nanny. She, and on that show, she ran some guy over. Like, <laughs> And they stuck him with a, a, a needle to, uh, uh, to knock him out, gave him, a, you know, knocked him out and dragged him away, tied him up, all this kind of crap. But um, yeah, now she's on, now she plays a doctor on Chicago Med. Oh my God. Which is on NBC. Um, it, it's that, those three shows together, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. Right, right. So she's well, on Chicago Med. They're in their fifth year now. Okay, so now I assume she's not working right now. Have, have they gone back to work? Not yet, no. no. They may go back at the end of this month or then October they're talking about. Right. It's so freaking weird. So now is she in L.A. now? Right now she's quarantined with her boyfriend in, <laughs> in uh, Connecticut. Okay. And she has a house. She has an apartment in Chicago. 
because that's where they filmed the show. Oh, oh, oh. And she has a house in LA. Okay. She's, she's done very well. You, yeah. What was that? What was it like for you as a father when your daughter like hit the big time, like had her first series? That has to be crazy for you. Well, it's insane watching her on TV. It's like I can't believe that this is the little girl that that was like the little one sitting next to me, you know, like that, you know. But um, I remember when she first left home when she was mm -hmm. 19 years old to go to LA to pursue this career of an actress. And what I did was, you know, joking when she was leaving, ah, it's going to be great, blah, 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 playing she's leaving home by the Beatles, you know, and laughing and stuff. She left, the car went down the driveway, and I went in her room, laid on her bed, and wept, <laughs> wept like a baby. And I called my mother, and I said, Mom, I can't, my heart is breaking. I can't believe she left. And my mother said on the phone, now you know how I felt when you left with the, on the road, you know, to do that. Because I went with Mitch Ryder when I was 18 years old, got on a bus and took off. Wow. Yeah. I, I just empty nested the second one and it, it last, it, it's murder. It's murder. I, I cry, I cry. Yeah, it's murder. It's murder. All right, so so the oldest, what, what is the oldest doing? Because I know all your girls are doing well. The oldest just uh, got her license, passed the test. She's a registered nurse now in Pennsylvania. Now, yeah. now, okay, now tell me the truth as a father. How do you feel about that in this time of COVID? Well, I'm very proud of her. Yes. Uh, like when the, when the uh, virus was really at its peak, mm -hmm. man, I was worried. Out here, by the way. Yeah. In so California, that's... it's very bad. Oh, you guys are back there again. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So... And it was tough. I mean, you know, she told me stories of people and, you know, all the stuff she had to wear and everything I got to do. Yeah, it's crazy. But aren't you terrified on a daily basis for her safety? Yeah, well, they, she's in the hospital. They know what they're doing. Uh, my nephew, who is the same age uh, as my girls, um, he worked in a hospital. He, he maintained the boilers in the hospital in Queens that was ground zero for, for New York City. Elmhurst, I mean, right? Elmhurst Hospital? Yes, Elmhurst, yes. And this was before they knew anything about it, really. And right. he got, got it. He got oh. it. Oh. He's young and he's strong. So, but he was really, really sick for like two week, weeks. But he's fine now, you know. God. But now they know so much about it that the people, the healthcare workers, know how to protect themselves and, and know what to do. So, does she have the proper PPE to protect herself? Does she have all the stuff she needs? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they, they supply with everything. Well, no, but they 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 were running out of things. They were making them rewear masks over and over and over again. And well, in uh, in the Pennsylvania area where she is, um, they took down. They they had a bunch of wards and stuff for for the virus victims and stuff like that. It's gotten so less that they like closed some of them down. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then there's my other one, my other daughter. I met your other daughter. Yes, She's she the did. makeup artist, right? It's makeup artist, yes. And you know what she did after that, after you met her? She went on a row with Fleetwood Mac. I remember you telling me that. How is that? And you used to play with Stevie Nicks. That's great. Yeah. That's very full circle. Yes. As a matter of fact, when I played with Stevie Nicks, it was the Wild Heart Tour. And yeah. she had these little rings that had a heart with the, you know, she gave everybody a ring. And I gave it to my daughter, you know, and, and she wore it around the neck because it was too big for her, but, but she loved it, you know. 
and um, she was doing uh, makeup and and uh, dressing rooms for um, Stevie and the and the tour. Yeah, wow. now she's uh, now she's home collecting unemployment like all us other musicians, like me, like everybody, yeah. right? That would it, it's insane. It is insane. Um, so and so that tour was a great experience for her. Did she love it? Oh, she loved it. You know, she traveled to places that she would have never gone. You know. And um, she loved it. She saw cousins and relatives around the world and just met a lot of people. Did she go to Italy? Huh? Did she go to but, Italy? Yeah, she went to Italy. Yep. Yep. And you, you still have family there? Yes. Yes. That's she crazy. She was to uh, uh, Mike Campbell um, from uh, Petty's Band because he was playing mm -hmm. with Fleetwood Mac at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, she was going to go out with them. He has a, a new band. And they were supposed to go out on the road, and then the, the pandemic hit, and that was done. You know, mm -hmm. so we just sit and wait. What do you think, Lib? What do you think about? Because all right, tell us about the gig that you had two weeks ago when you had to cancel on me because you forgot you had a gig. And I was like, "What do you mean you have a gig? We're in the middle of a pandemic." Tell tell everybody about the gig that you had. I'm not bringing you up about it. I think it's fascinating. We're, we're but, good. Everything happens when but it's I feel like such an idiot. No, nah, everything happens the way it's supposed to. You know, I write stuff down, <laughs> but sometimes I put it in the wrong box, you know? <laughs> and, and there were so many interviews I was doing for the book. Right. I, I was getting confused. Like, what am I doing now? Where, where am I going? I? So I wrote this gig down in, a week later than it was supposed to be. I got and you. how I found out was I was looking at Facebook and the piano player in the band he wrote something, he held up my book and, and he said, I would write something about this book, but I'm going to tell Liberty tomorrow when I see him. And I was, I almost wrote like, Dave, it's a week away. Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? But then I, I called the, the, the manager of the band and I said, when are we playing that gig? He said, tomorrow. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Thank God you saw that thing on Facebook. You would have been a no show. Oh, but you know what? It was like, like my wife said, I said, of all the people that I got to tell, I can't do it. Of all the people. And she goes, well, aren't you friends with her? You're friends with her. Well, she'll understand. <laughs> but it was like, oh, man. I, I know you. I, you're a pro, and I know you don't do that kind of stuff. And it, it ended up, well, you know, it was crazy. After you said you couldn't do it, I got in touch with Pedro Segundo, who was supposed to do it the next week. And I said, look, I already got a gig. Can you, are you available tomorrow? And he goes, yes. And he sent me all the stuff and I do all the promo. And now I put him up there and he's not answering me. He's not answering the next day. Oh, I didn't know you meant tomorrow. And so now it's noon of the day of the show and I've got no guest. And I called my friend Nancy Allen and she was like, I'm in. So dress to kill. Robocop. I mean, it showed it was great. It worked out exactly as it was supposed to, and it was fine. And you're here now. So, so all right, so let's get to May, your little one. Um, yes. We were talking about May before the, um, because it has to be, we're going to get into some COVID stuff. We're known as the COVID crazies, as I was telling you. All the people on the thread here are all COVID crazy people. We're like all just uh, information. You know, I have a Another show, four days a week, shooting the shit with Vicky, where we just talk about COVID and stuff. So, right. so it has to be really hard to be a three-year-old, and it has to be really hard to be a parent of a three-year-old 
when you can't do play dates and stuff. No. So, so what, what the hell are you doing? Like she can't go to pre-K, right? Like uh, middle, what is it called? Uh, yeah, what is pre, it, uh, yeah. What is it yeah, called? Whatever. Yeah, whatever it's called. It's not called well, nursery it's, school. It's called, I don't know what it's called anymore. <laughs> I can't remember. But it's been a while. All, all new kinds of stuff that's done. Right. So, so, so what do you do as a parent, as a kid? What's the day look like for you guys? Well, she hasn't uh, played with kids since March 15th. Oh. Like, yeah. She's around adults all the time. Luckily, a lot of adults are like kids, you know. Um, yeah, but like how many adults are you around even with? Well, there's me, my wife. Uh, Nana and my sister-in-law, uh, her boyfriend, and Aunt Donna. That's it. Okay, so you made these your pod people. These are safe people that you can, because they're living the way you are safely. Yes. They're in our pod. Yes, like you They're said. in your pod. So we were talking about your mother-in-law before. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about why you have to protect your mother-in-law. My mother-in-law in February, um, uh, she, she had uh, cancer in, in her lungs, but she has this lung disease where um, she has a hard time breathing sometimes. You know, oh. uh, like she, she, if she walks too far or, or if it gets too humid, that's mm -hmm. a hard time breathing. So they had to remove the blots of the cancer that was in her lung. So she was started radiation after going through the chemo. Right. And then the virus hit. Oh, two sections of radiation. So the doctors told my wife outright, they said, if your mother gets this virus, she will surely die. Oh, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we couldn't see her. She had to stay in her house. She lives alone in, right. in, her, in um, a Marine Park, which is yeah. about a half hour from here. And, um, we couldn't even see her. We couldn't go see her. Then she uh, she finally went to the doctor to, to get checked up. And the right. doctor, they, they said, okay, you can see your family, but you can't make contact with them. So we could go there okay. with the masks right. on and right. she would have to talk through the sliding door. Right. So it was months before my wife got to hug her mother while going through all this cancer stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, it was it was really really hard. It's still hard on Nana. And does she live alone? Does Nana live alone? Yeah, Nana lives alone. Yeah. So how does Nana get her groceries and do all of that stuff? Well, now we we when we order fresh direct, uh, Anna orders for her mom too, and then we bring it there. Right, right, right. We were leaving it outside, and then uh, Nana has a little bit of a backyard, so we could play in the backyard with May. And Nana would just open the door and grab her groceries and go back in. Oh. It's so weird. But it's really nice that you're able to move together now because I haven't gotten to that point with my son and with my boyfriend because we have other people that are going in and out of, that are not making it safe. So yes. I don't have I don't have a pause. <laughs> Pathetic. I was telling you, Liberty, I literally have a body bag, a, a, a plastic bag that goes from my head to my toes so that I can hug my son and my boyfriend. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. It really is insane. You know, and, uh, you know, it, here in New York, we, we had all the, um, uh, those protests, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter. Right. And there was one 
they, they were right in front of our apartment. <laughs> right in front. There was one that was frightening. It's like the protesters are coming down where we live on Washington Avenue. It's a two-way street. They're blocking all the traffic coming down one way and uh -huh. the police coming up the other way. And the police oh. have all the gear on, the shields, right. ma masks, everything. And you could see them walking towards the protesters who were yelling and all that kind of stuff. And then the, the big chief comes out, you know, with the, he, the one that wears the white shirt. Right. And he gets on the bullhorn. And it was right. This is when uh, de Blasio, <clears throat> he mm. um, uh, had the curfew of eight o'clock. You had to go be right. in by eight o'clock, which was really dumb. Um, so this was after eight. So the Wait, chief, why did you think it was dumb? All that looting was going on, Liv. It was crazy. All those stores were getting vandalized. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, but people are still coming home from work at eight o'clock, you know, if they went to work. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it, it was crazy. So the protesters, you know, they, they want to break the curfew. So the police chief gets on his bullhorn and he says, okay, you are breaking whatever law it was that was implemented by Mayor de Blasio. Right. You have two choices. I could either arrest you and you can go to jail or you can go home right now. Do you know they dispersed? It was over. They left. Wow. It was so peaceful the way it ended. Wow. It looked like it was going to be like Watts or it's going to be the Chicago yeah. riots again. Well, it was in a lot of places. Oh, no, it, it was. It definitely was. Yeah. But I yeah. was so frightened looking out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thinking like, wow, this is this is the 60s all over again. Yeah. It's crazy. It you know? is. I mean, we, we lived through it the last time, you know, all yes. those race march, marching for civil rights. I was marching yeah. on Washington in 68, the war in Vietnam, civil rights, all of that stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I, I'm way into it and I, I'm all for Black Lives Matter. But the way they talk about the police here in New York, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, not only just defund the police, but, you know, the cops talk and the, this, you know, fuck the police, all that kind of shit. It's like now in New York, we, we had some uh, incident happen here in, in our building mm -hmm. and they called the cops and the guy went down to talk at the police station to the police. And he was treated so badly, this guy mm -hmm. that was involved in this incident, mm -hmm. that he was asked to press charges and he said, no. There's no way I'm going to do that because and a friend of mine said, the cops have had it here. They're done. They mm -hmm. are done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the way I, 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 my dad was a cop. So I, I, was, I, I, knew, I knew we were going there. I was waiting because this, this empathy, I understand why you have it. Okay. So talk about that. Uh, and, and I know, I, I, I believe that they should be retrained. A different way and mm -hmm. my dad was very violent when he came home uh, it's in the book that he was very violent to me you know mm -hmm. um so they need to be retrained do you think your dad would be how do you think your dad would feel about the way blacks are treated by police now like what happened with george floyd how do you think your dad would your dad be in support of that would he support his fellow cops in that you would know he, I, he well when he was a cop, I mean, there was that, that blue uh, line. There right. was, it was deep. He was a cop during the Serpico times. 
And right. Oh, wow. When, yeah, when Serpicult routed them out and, and uh -huh. said what was going on, uh -huh. he was like, you know, like he was, oh, he was a fink. Serpicult was a fink, you know, because they have this brotherhood. They, right. they really do. I mean, right. he would have he felt that, that George Floyd, what happened was, was definitely wrong, you know, but mm -hmm. he's a cop. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so anyway, it was like I'm all for everybody being equal, but we need a police department. They just need to be retrained. Do something. Do do do. No more chokeholds. No more. You know, I when when my dad became a cop, most cops back then too. My dad wanted to be a career criminal. That's really? What, what, what was his uh, what was his nasty? He he um he grew up on the same block as the guys from Murder Incorporated. The the your mafia used to hire Murder Incorporated to you know if they wanted to get rid of somebody. Right. So he, when Murder Incorporated would get a call to do minor jobs like uh -huh. get money from somebody or you know stuff like that, they would send my father and his friends you know to beat people up. <laughs> It's, it's all it's all in the book yes and, it is you have a and, wacky family yeah wacky family yes so um you know so he, he became a cop because my mother got pregnant before they were married there's the book yes that's it so he became a cop you know, yeah but back then you didn't need a college education and and stuff like that and it was guys from the street that were police i know my father like would talk to guys that that were going to were, could potentially be arrested. But he would talk to them and say, look, what are you doing? Stop it. You know, you're going to get in trouble and let them, you know, go. That's good. You know, and stuff like that. But now <coughs> they're, they're supposedly highly educated, you know. And, and if, if you're somebody that has like a violent streak in them, where, where are you going to go if, you, if you're not going to join the army or if you come out of the army and, and you've been had this violent streak and you become a cop you think it's going to go away no it's not going to go away mm -hmm. so these guys have to be broken down to and and be trained a, a totally different way mm -hmm. but we need a police department mm -hmm. because if i was a criminal right now i'd be sitting pretty going like oh this is cool you don't want cops anymore great good for me yeah. you know yeah so, um, so it's a hard thing to be in. It is a hard thing. And uh, my daughter, who at when I was her age was protesting, was going down to the pro to, she lives in Brooklyn and she she was volunteering to help people get snacks and stuff. She was on the sidelines, but she was in the middle of that whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all crazy making. Are your daughters all being safe? Are they um, are they staying home and being safe? Oh yeah, yeah. They're all like quarantining, and yes, yeah. One, you know, one's in L.A. She stays home. She's got a little apartment with a garden in the backyard. Nice. You know, all with mm -hmm. the masks. You know, I mean, New York is doing pretty good. Um, it is doing well. We all wear our masks. You know, how, okay, we've been talking about that a lot because I I live in a sleepy little town outside of L.A. and they don't wear masks. They, they walk around the, the neighborhood, they don't wear masks. How is it in your neighborhood? Are people wearing masks? Yes, yeah, they, they wear masks. And the restaurants, you know, we didn't open. We didn't open up yet. 
Right. But restaurants can serve outside. Right. You know, they, they set up tables. It's almost like Europe now. Um, yeah. You drive down the road and, and the, the restaurants have these tables like out where you would normally park a car on the street. Right. They have tables yeah, I mean, there. Somebody just sent me, uh, Joanne Malazzo just sent me a picture of Bleecker Street where I used to run the Rock and Roll Cafe. And it, it, lo it, it looks like Italy. Every, everything is in the, in the street yeah. with flowers. It's, it's, and, cool. it's pretty cool. So, so, all right. So let's, before we get off the family stuff, let's talk about May again for a second because we were talking before the show and I was asking you if she's showing any musical uh, leaning these days. So, so tell everybody about May and her music. <laughs> May, uh, you know, I thought I was a big Beatle fan. Mm -hmm. May is is a super Beatle fan. That's she loves the Beatles. I had to give her all the Beatle magazines that I had stashed <laughs> away, and she she and she's in a crib in the morning. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, her mother gets up when she wakes up. She yells for her mom, "Mama, mama!" You know, and mom goes in there and gives her stuff to read. And I said, well, she's reading. Oh, she's reading the Beatle magazines. <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, it's frightening. It's, there's this one picture in the magazine of Paul McCartney diving off a diving board in a bathing suit. She loves that picture. <laughs> Wait, why? Why? <clears throat> I don't know. I, she loves Paul McCartney. Her second favorite. Well, they, they flip-flop. Paul McCartney yeah, and George yeah. Harrison. Well, I kind of did that too. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 but and but you said like she'll act it out and she'll like use a British accent and stuff. She knows all the words to the songs, all the Beatles songs, <laughs> and she'll have the two, you know, her little magnets that that she'll talk to him. Hey, Paul, where are you going, man? Uh, I'm going to Wings. I'm quitting the band. I'm going to Wings. <laughs> history that's hysterical <laughs> it really is funny it really oh. is funny I'll, I'll tell her i'll say uh because i taught her this you know i'll say uh uh tell Anne elizabeth uh if if we were in england how would the beatles say raspberry and she goes raspberry <laughs> <laughs> how does she know that how does she know that she just knows you know what i think too <laughs> the Beatles, when they sing, they pronounce every word that you, you can understand everything. That That's true. Sing. So mm -hmm. she's really learning how to talk from listening to those records. Wow. It's not like, you know, a lot of records used to have to, what did he say? What's it? What, 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 every Rolling Stone song. Who knows the words to the Rolling Stones? Oh my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Beatles, you know, it's, it's totally different. And, uh, I'm just waiting for her to ask for uh, what does um, uh, uh, oh she done me? Nobody done me like she did. I'm waiting for her to ask for what that means. <laughs> you know, we try to avoid bungalow bill. What did you kill? We try to avoid that. Okay, so does she ask? Does she ask stuff? What does yeah. that mean? Oh, in the beginning, when she first started listening to the Beatles, one of the first questions she asked was, what does it mean, Dad? Here I stand, head in hand, turn my face to the wall. Why, why is he doing that? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's heavy. That's a hard one to explain, too. That's that's a lot of stuff right there. That's pretty grown up. Yeah, but I have an answer. Go ask your mother. <laughs> 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 so, 
some things never change. So, so she knows her dad is a drummer. Yes. Um, you don't have a kit in the apartment, I assume. No. 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 So, she, she has she seen you play like live? Um, she's come to a sound check. Okay. Um, she had fun playing the drums. She likes to bang on the drums, and she walked around to each musician, and they played for her, and she was fascinated. Oh. oh. <clears throat> So now, has she? Is she playing anything? Is she, try, is she banging a drum or? Well, now Dave, I'm, calling, I'm catching it, huh? Yeah, Dave Wish, you know the the founder of Little Kids Rock. Mm-hmm. He uh, came up with this little drum set, and he sent May one, and uh, she bangs on it every now and then. And I have a set at my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> and, I want to give you a recola. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and um, she'll come down the basement and bang on those drums, you know. But her sister, Tori, bought her a violin. Okay, now is this a real violin? It's a real violin, but it's really tiny for wow. her hands. And she'll play, she'll put on a Beatle record, and she'll play the melody to it, you know. Like, uh, uh, she, she'll play, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Da, 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 da. You know, not using any notes, but just doing right. the bow, you know. And she has good, good, good timing. She, she gets the beat. She catches the beat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's got the timing down. She yeah. would be your daughter. That would make sense. Yeah. It's, it's really something to watch. <laughs> oh, my God. That's too funny. So. All right, so let's go back to we we didn't get into we never talked about what the gig actually was that you were doing two weeks ago that you couldn't do this show. Tell everybody about the gig you did. Oh because yeah, this is like a whole new wave of how people are going to hear music now. Yeah, yeah. listen to me. See, people are people are dying to go out. Oh my god, dying to go out. They're dying for live music, and they're trying to come up with ways to do it. Um, okay, so how did you? Do it? Well, we did this parking lot gig. Uh, at this uh, mall, a shopping mall. You know, shopping malls have huge parking lots. Right. So they set up the stage. They set up the uh, sound PA and uh, cameras and everything like that. Like it's a real regular show. But people right. come and park their cars in the little spots. You know, so there's uh, this, uh, social distancing. You sit in the car. And on some of the dates, you can listen to the band on the radio. You can tune in the radio. Or you can uh-huh. have your car, you sit on the hood of your car and you watch the band. You know, um, we're going to do another one uh, at the end of August up in Connecticut somewhere. Uh, this is the laws of 52nd Street to do these. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the, it's a drive-in show. So, you know. Yeah, it, there's it, a lot of Okay, so you go to a, so they socially distance the cars. <clears throat> yes. It's just like going to the drive-in. You know, how close were you to the guy next to you when you went to a drive-in? No, in the old days in the drive-in, you were pretty close to the guy next to you. <laughs> well, you shared the booth. You shared the, that stupid thing. Right. You the yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but this is good because now you, you can get out of your car, sit on the hood, and uh, listen to the band. <laughs> and so... <laughs> like crazy appreciative because it was the first time they were seeing live music in this whole thing yeah it was unbelievable it really was Was um... i'm taking you in my bathroom i'm gonna have a drink of water 
Hold you on. need to have a drink of water. And I know Cindy Beagle is now backing up from the screen every time you cough, afraid she's going to catch something. Okay, we're back. <laughs> so, um, as a musician playing that way to people that are spread like way out and so far away, does it feel weird or is it okay? The hard part is that you can't really hear the applause. Oh, <laughs> you, hear their hand, you see their hands moving, but you can't hear the applause. <laughs> Okay, that's that's weird. So you have to learn to play um, to each other, to each guy in the band. That's what we do with Billy when we were an opening act. We knew that people didn't want to hear us. They wanted the main act. We used to open for the Beach Boys. And it was like, you know, we, we had no billing. And right. lot, you know, house lights would go out. And then a spotlight comes on and it's us. And people, would, you'd hear the crowd go, you know. <laughs> and, but we played to each other. Like, okay, let's just kill this one. Watch this. Watch what I do here, you know? And that's what you have to yeah. do now. It's so crazy to think that at one time, Billy Joel had people going, oh, when he came to the stage. Oh, I mean, that's yes. like crazy to imagine that, you know, you think about 10 years later or five years later, they went, oh, my God, that was Billy Joel, you know? So... But did he? Did you guys win people? Did you win the audience over before you? Or were they just not listening to you? No, they were listening. They were very happy that we were we were there and we were playing. You know, they just. I think I don't know if they were happy that we were playing. Right. Or they were happier that they were just out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, let's go back how this all started. So I know Mitch Ryder was your first real gig, but before. You really didn't start playing like that early. I think you were like 12 or something when you started playing, yeah. right? What, why did yeah. you start playing the drums, Lou? Well, I, told, I asked my father um, later in my career. I said, why did you give me the drums? I always loved music. I used to buy records, cut lawns, and, and go buy records with the money I made. Okay, so wait. Who, who were, you, who were your, music, your musical heroes when you were a little kid? What records were you buying? The first record I ever bought was a song called The Book of Love by the <laughs> Monotones. That was the first record I ever bought. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I loved uh, The Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. I, I loved Dion. Mm -hmm. It was like favorites. You know, the Orlons, stuff like that. Uh, then mm -hmm. early R&B, like Aretha mm -hmm. Franklin and Eddie Floyd and, and uh, uh, Wilson Pickett. So all that was my favorite. Uh -huh. you know, and, you, and you didn't play any instrument when you were little. You weren't playing anything. No, no. Nothing when I was little. I think we, I tried the flutophone in, in school. <laughs> but, but So your parents weren't musical? No, my mother used to love to dance. She loved okay. music. She used to cut school to go see Frank Sinatra. Oh. But my father, my mother always said he was, he was a square. He was just a square. <laughs> you know? he, didn't know, he didn't know anything. He used to sing this song like, uh, Two little fishies and a mommy fishy too. You know, that kind of boop, boop, did a dad a while. Yeah, yeah, that one. That's, that was probably the only song he knew, you know. But uh, yeah. my mom knew everything, you know, and she loved the fact when I had started playing drums. Uh, but I asked my dad later on in my career, like, why did you give me the drums? Because I loved music, but I never said I want to play drums, you know. Huh? And he said, because they didn't make Prozac when you were a kid. So, you know. <laughs> were you like a tough kid? Were you like a, an angry kid? I guess I was wild. Yeah. Well, me and Eleanor, my friend, when I was four or five years old, we got in trouble because we took golf clubs and broke a whole case of empty soda bottles in somebody's garage. <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
So you were like a you were like a hoodlum. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, I guess at, at five years old, I was a hoodlum. Oh my god! So all right, so all right, so at twelve you start playing music. I'm sure you don't start using. What what age are you starting to drink and drug and stuff? Started to do what? Drink and drug. When did that come into your life? Oh, drink and drug. That came late. I, actually, I was a late starter to that. Um, I would say I was probably, what, at least 18, 19. Oh, wow. I don't think I was drinking when I, I played with Mitch. What? Okay, so let, let, let's, how did you get, how did you get, so you start playing drum. Do you take lessons? Are you trained? I know the answer, but I'm asking anyway. Yeah, no, I'm self-taught. So and you don't read music. Yeah. And you don't you don't uh read read music, correct? I don't read music, don't write music, nope. Okay. So, <clears throat> so and, and so who when you're twelve, are the Beatles there yet? When do the Beatles happen for you? Beatles don't happen until I'm thirteen. Okay. Beatles aren't happening yet. No. So and when no, the I'm I'm watching my parents dance <clears throat> with their friends, drinking at parties in in our living room right you know, we lived in we lived in a split level and uh you walk up a flight of stairs and the bedrooms are upstairs and there's a hallway that you could see down to the living room right and i used to sit there in my pajamas and, and watch them dance to this you know chubby checker the twist was a big record then right you know so i used to watch that and they would get blood of these people you know like bombed what were either of your parents alcoholics no 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 my father didn't drink he always said it made men weak that's why wow. he didn't drink yeah so um no this was something i picked up on my own <laughs> <laughs> and not, but, no alcoholism like in the extended family like going back generations or anything not 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 alcoholism in your family uh, not until later years. My uncle Freddie was was bad. Yeah, <laughs> he was bad. But um, yeah, it wasn't until um, I, I got with Super Richie Super. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's when uh, we started drinking. You know, Jack Daniels. It was when the you know the days of Cretans Clearwater and the band and all that kind of stuff and you know a lot of pot and stuff and you know and then it just escalated from there. <laughs> All right. So one, of the, reasons, one, one yeah. of the reasons I got the gig with Billy was because before I auditioned for Billy and played anything for him, you know, I had known him from playing on Long Island. He was in a right. different band, I, you know, but um, I used to hang out with his um, tour manager and we used to get like, boof, like crazy drunk. And um that's actually how I got in the band. He was always saying, "Like, oh, we got to get you in the band, man. You're great to hang out with." You know. So you didn't get in for your drumming. You got in for your partying. Yes. Yeah. Well, I know Billy was a good partier, and I know my old friend Tommy Burns knows how to knew how, or at least knew how to party. So oh, I, know, yes. I know there was a lot of that going on for you oh, guys. Man. There was one time in Germany. <clears throat> it's Billy's birthday party. We got so hammered. <laughs> we destroyed Billy's cake. We were in a club somewhere. I don't even know where we were. And this guy walked in with, with like, he must have had 50 roses. He was trying to sell, like, to the couples and stuff like that. Right. I, I told the promoter, I said, buy all these roses. 
and he, he gave him all the money. I took all the roses and beat Billy and sang happy birthday to him with all while beating him with the roses. And then we destroyed the cake. We were throwing it at each other. And oh the whipped cream was all over everybody. And every time you went into the bathroom, you slipped and fell right on your grass. It was <laughs> Oh my God. I'm going to talk about some more fun stories. Let's go back though. So you're a kid, you're teaching yourself, you're 12, 13, the Beatles happened. Did the Beatles impact you as a kid, as a 13 year old drummer? Is Ringo like, what's Ringo for you? Oh, Ringo, man. Let me tell you something. When I was in the sixth grade, I um, was told by a teacher that I would never do anything with the drums because I couldn't play the buzz roll in the Star Spangled Banner. So I kind of got discouraged because this was the, the set my parents bought me and because no Prozac. And uh, <laughs> so now I'm not playing, I, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do? I forget about it. But then when I get into junior high school, it's like, okay, there's these other human beings walking around and they're called girls and I'd like to meet them. <clears throat> but I didn't play sports. So when the Beatles came on the Ed Sullivan show, it was like, whoa. That's what I want to do. Forget the buzz roll. I want to do that. I want to. I want to be in a band with my friends, and I want to tour around the world and make girls scream. You know. But isn't that amazing? You manifested what you wanted. You made it happen. Yeah. You did. I did. I did. Uh, you know that bit of luck. You know. Well, it's luck. You know what is luck? It's it's opportunity meets perseverance, and you did all of those things. So okay, and you worked very hard. You had to work very hard at your craft to get as good as you did. That didn't happen without a lot of hours put in. There's just no. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, the book is about my life, how I got to play, uh, how these immigrants came over from Italy, and two generations later, one of their offspring is playing with the um with the, one of the biggest solo artists in the world so it's all the roads that i took to get to where i am today ronnie dangerfield has the greatest line when he says you know how many women i had to sleep with to get to where i am today <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like that no yeah. some of the roads were very dark and i'm very fortunate that i was able to get out to get off that road like uh, other people didn't make it. Like Doug Stegmaier never didn't make it off the road. Can you, can you give us an example of a story of uh, a dark road that, that you got out of? Oh yeah, uh, drugs are most of them. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a story in the book about me doing um, acid. It, I was in a band in Baltimore doing acid, and I tripped uh, for a week. I, I didn't know who I was. Oh, I had no God. idea. I had friends that had lost their mind. They just totally flipped out in the 60s, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, w I was fortunate enough that my father always said that he would kill me if I ever did drugs, you know? And um, he knew there was something wrong. We sat and, and uh, talked about it. And then um, I told him, I said, I, I did acid and I'm still tripping. I'm still high, I can't, you know? I said, are you gonna kill me? He said. I just lost my mother. I don't want to lose my son, you know, and, you know, things like that, you know, um, booze. I had a car accident that, that I totally broke almost every bone in my face, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so all those, uh, you know, and to be in recovery now, it's great. I wouldn't be, do, be able to do what I do now if I wasn't, uh, 
you know, sober. So how did how did that happen for you? Did you have a did you bottom out? What was your bottom? Well, I, love saved me. Uh, my wife Anna, uh, we, we, when I met her, she was um, twenty seven. <laughs> I was say just a few years younger. Just yeah, I was I was fifty two, and she was yeah. twenty seven. <laughs> Hence, why we have a young baby. There um, you go. Yeah, see, it all adds up. Yeah. Uh, so we were partying. I was partying with her with her friends. You know, I could keep up with them. But I was getting to the point where, you know, at the end of the night, I'd be throwing up on my shoes, you know. So one Very morning I woke, yeah, one morning I woke up and she looked at me and she said, OK, you're going to make a choice right now. It's either me or you continue to drink. And I said, when do you want me to stop? And she said, now would be nice. I haven't touched with the help of my life coach. I haven't touched uh, uh, anything. You know, that's pretty miraculous, Lord, because they say you that you can't quit for somebody else. You have to quit for yourself. Yeah. But I guess you really were quitting for yourself because you were in love and you didn't want to lose her. Exactly. Um, but it all so you didn't go to you didn't go. I, I don't know. I, I don't break tradition. But you didn't go to the program to get to, to quit. No. And you still, you still don't do meetings. You don't do program meetings. No, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my life coach is, um, you know, she believes, I said, do you, just, can somebody uh, stop drinking without uh, going to AA and stuff? And, and she says, you, AA is good, but not everybody is comfortable in AA, but you need to have someone like a life coach or somebody that, that you talk to and, and talk about what's going on with you. You know, you need to have that. You how did you start with, like, how did you start with a life coach? What what brought you to a life coach, and how long ago was that? Well, Allie, her name is Allie Berlin. She lives mm -hmm. out there in California too, but Northern mm -hmm. California, and um, she um, was the the um, mediator at our wedding. She um, did our wedding for us. That's how we met her through through our accountant, mm -hmm. and. Um, when I was having problems, like I, I couldn't sleep with thinking of the Billy thing and, and all kinds of stuff like that. My wife said, you know, Ali is a life coach. You should talk to her. You know, so um, I started to talk to her and, you know, I realized how much rage I had in me because of what my dad had done to me when I was younger and mm -hmm. what, you know, like it really wasn't Billy that I was mad at. It was more like my dad made right. me that person. Right. That I got mad at Billy, you know, mm -hmm. um, so she she talked me through a lot of that stuff. And and there was times like uh, I would be in, in such bad shape. I remember one night walking out of this apartment. It was the coldest night in the winter, coldest. And I was walking and walking and thinking to myself, Do you know, how many bars there are between here and the next block that I could stop in and go go for it. And all I could think about was my life coach and thinking like, if I call her and say, just tell me, don't, you know, and, um, you know, just, just, you know, I always wanted to wear a bracelet like that, that said, what would Allie do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so you've been with her all this time. She's still your life coach. Yeah. 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 Mine and my wife's, uh, she's both our life coaches. Yeah. 
I have a lot. I, be, I spoke to you yesterday, Jeremy Stevens. I, I believe in all that stuff. I believe in it all. I do it all. I have. I go to meetings and I have a life coach and a therapist, and I need a lot of help. But I, I oh, respect. Yeah. We all, well, that's the thing. We all do, especially mm -hmm. now. You know, I, uh, one of my buddies, I won't mention his name or anything like that, but has has a, um, a recovery place, and, and he does. Uh, all you know, he was, he was going to join us today and surprise you. But there's there's a, a little illness in his family, so he couldn't come today. But he, he was going to jump on and surprise you. Uh, yeah. So what I know because he's he's out of the closet about his recovery, totally. Yeah. Clean yeah. getaway and everything. You guys do all that stuff. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and uh, so yeah. You, so you have all these other factions. All right, but. Before we get into all the recovery, let's get back to the early career. How did you get with Mitch Ryder? How did you go from being a little kid playing the drums to going on the road with Mitch Ryder? Um, I had played, I, I was jamming. I had met the Vanilla Fudge. Oh. Peace and them, you know, all those guys. I, I actually was, filmed you go doing a double drum thing with Carmine, Carmine at, uh, at NAMM about 12 years ago. You would do your drums with your hero, yeah. <laughs> and I don't funny. want to say I don't want to say that you were kicking his ass, but you were kicking his ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we um, I started to jam with Vinnie Martell, the mm -hmm. guitar player in the Fudge, and we okay. were jamming at this place called Breakout Management, and um, the Detroit Wheels. Mitch Mitch had split from the Detroit Wheels. The Detroit Wheels came to New York. Johnny B was leaving the band, the drummer. And they were looking for a new drummer. And they stopped mm -hmm. at breakout management to ask if they knew any drummers. And somebody up front said, there's a kid in the back that jams with, with uh, Vinny. It's pretty good. So my first gig was with them, with the Detroit Wheels. But <clears throat> one of the, um, the guitar player turned out to be a heroin addict. And so oh. it really didn't go anywhere. Um, I ended up in Detroit staying at Rusty Day's house. Um, he was the singer in the in the wheels, and I flew back home. And Rusty, um, he when the Detroit Wheels came to audition me at my parents' house, they didn't leave for about a week. You know, they slept in the basement and everything like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, my my parents became fond of, of Rusty. Rusty was a great guy, a lot of fun. You know, really cool. And so I'm home. And Rusty gets a gig with Carmine in Cactus. He becomes the lead oh, singer. Cactus. Oh, he, that was a great band. He becomes a lead singer in Cactus. Mm -hmm. And he comes to my house every now and then and has dinner with me and my parents. And <laughs> one night he says, look, I'm going on the road, but I'm going to find you a gig. I want you to practice all the time because I don't want you to embarrass me when you go for the audition. So... Not long after that, I get a phone call. Now I'm just 18. I was in, I just graduated school in June. Now it's November. I get a phone call. It's Mitch Ryder's tour manager. And he says, uh, we got your number from Rusty Day. Uh, he says, you're pretty good. We need a drummer. I said, when? He said, tonight. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because the drummer that they had, Johnny Siomas, got sick. Now Johnny Siomas went on to do Frampton Comes Alive. Mm. You know, um, so I, I played with Mitch for like eight, uh, uh, six, eight weeks up and down the East Coast. You know, it was a great experience. It was a great learning experience to learn from a Detroit rocker. 
Oh, God. Uh-huh. You know, it was great. And unfortunately, um, Rusty, um, it, it's sad to say, but but he was killed in a drug-related uh, um, thing. And his son, too. His, him oh. And his, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, so you're you're playing with Mitch, and then I, I believe I believe I know the Billy story. You you in a club, and he was playing in a club, and he how did that happen? Well, that's how we first met. But we met like just like to say hello, you know. Okay. Uh, it was a place called the My House in Plainview, mm -hmm. and he was in Hassels. I was in a band called the New Rock Workshop. We both played on the same bill, and um, but I admired him. I thought he was really good. You know, he was, he was Billy Joe at the time. Not and what, kind of, what was he do? Was he doing the the singer songwriter thing? What no. was he doing back then? All cover tunes. They were doing all cover tunes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all cover tunes. Um, my band did cover tunes. They did cover tunes. We were in the psychedelic thing. Everybody's trying to be like the Vanilla Fudge at the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So <clears throat> when I um, when he was came to New York and he was looking for a new drummer. You know, he wanted a New York style drummer. Doug Stegmeyer, who I was working with in the band called Topper, said, mm -hmm. you know the guy, Billy, you've met him before. And um, that's how that whole thing built into like me getting the audition and everything was cool. And it was really weird because after, not weird, it was really cool because after the Mitch Ryder thing, um, I had, he was my calling card because when I got with Supa before I was with Billy, mm -hmm. They would ask. They would already ask. So who did you play with? Oh well, I played with uh, you know uh, my band, the New Rock Workshop. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, I jammed with Vinnie Martell. Oh yeah, cool. I was on the road with Mitch Ryder. What really? You were on the road? With, you know that was like eye opening. You know, right, right. So that was he was my calling card. And it's funny because I um, a couple of years ago I did you know I was in a house band at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, a bunch of guys. Will Lee was in the band, and uh, you know uh, Jeff Carlisi from Thirty Eight Special. Ricky Bird was in that band, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it was a great band. Uh, Rob Arthur. Anyway, Mitch was one of the guys that we played with. So, oh. Yeah. So uh, we're at Soundcheck with, with uh -huh. checking with other people, and Mitch has to take a bus from the hotel to the the, the Rockwell Hall of Fame, uh -huh. and my wife. It's only my wife and him on the bus. So Anna gets up and, and introduces herself to Mitch and says, hi, Mitch, uh, I'm Liberty's wife. And Mitch says, he learned everything from me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's hysterical. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, so you get the gig. So what was the audition process like for Billy? Was it like, did was it excruciating or did you get it fast or how did that go? Oh, no, so it went really fast. I mean, really fast because of, um, you know, um, I was hanging out with the right guy. Right. You know, the, the tour manager and I could could hold my liquor. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have any like favorite story? All right. Uh, you played with Billy for 30 years. Yes. It's a, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of gigs. There's a lot of recording. There's a lot of songs. I know yes. that you were instrumental in influencing at least one song, completely transforming it sort of. Can you tell us about that? Oh yeah. Only to get that young. Mm-hmm. 
which is yeah. my, which happens to be my favorite song of he Billy. Wrote, he wrote it. He wrote it as a reggae song. And um, right. why are you in such a dark place all of a sudden? You're like very dark now. Where did you go? You're like walking. Like, what are I'm you doing? On, I was oh. sitting on the bed. Yeah, no, that's not good. It's too dark. Yeah, I'm, back. I'm back in the light. I'm back to the light, Carolyn. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's much better. All right, I'm back at the light. Um, okay. Yeah, only the good day young. He, uh, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and me and the guy that I used to party with um, got me in the band. Uh, we went and we ran away and joined the circus. We had two days off. The circus was in town too. Bring the brothers. We got on the train. We did everything. I, so I, I, I was on that train. That is the most fun thing in the world. I was on that train in New York at Met yeah, when they were at yes. It's crazy. Midway, it's crazy. It was so fun. They're crazy, those people, those circus people. They know how to party. The, the little guy, the little yeah. client, he got the most, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was wild. It was insane. Anyway, so I come back. And Richie Canada comes running down the, the hallway and goes, Wait, you got to hear the song that Billy wrote. You got to hear the song. And he played it on the guitar as a reggae song, you know? And it was about. Like, you just, I can't even imagine what that would sound like. It had to come up. Don't let me wait. Stop. Much too late. You know, like that kind of thing. Only the good die. You know, it was like, <laughs> wow. So, first of all, he's like saying that Catholic girls are wrong and there's no heaven. And, uh, you know, I grew up Catholic. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I was like, my first thing was, like, oh, Billy, you can't, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. <laughs> anyway, we get into the studio and we're trying it reggae. Right. I finally look at him and I go, look. The closest you have been to Jamaica is the Jamaica train station on the Long Island Railroad where you change trains. <laughs> this is terrible. It's terrible. And I started to do the swing thing, you know, with the brushes, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it kind of took off from there. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's the it's one of the greatest rock and roll songs that there. <clears throat> it just, I mean, it's it's. I can't even imagine if it wouldn't have been a rock and song. I can't. I, I don't think it would have been the hit that it was. That's for sure. And and you know what? It was it was starting to fall off the charts when it came out. Nobody was like, you know, people liked it, but they weren't like really it. Uh, it, until the uh, uh, Catholic diocese banned it and, and <laughs> said you can't. And then <laughs> you, know, you tell a teenager you can't listen to something. Like, really? You got to be. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. So, so tell us, like, what was it like? This from did you grow up in Brooklyn? You didn't grow up in Brooklyn. You, you grew up on Long Island. Where'd you grow up? I was born in Brooklyn, but I grew up on Long Island. Long Island. That's what I thought. So, yeah. what, what's what's like the first huge gig you play? Huge. Huge. Yeah. Let's see. The first huge gig I played was. <clears throat> After Woodstock, there was a thing called Pound Ridge in Connecticut. Uh huh. But it was kind of shut down because 
of the reputation of Woodstock, but there were still like thousands and thousands of people there. And uh -huh. I was with Richie Super at the time. Uh huh. And we went with the intention of playing, but they cut off all the electricity. But the great thing was is that they used Mr. Softy trucks to power the, the amplifiers and everything. <laughs> the crowd was huge. huge. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, so okay, so, so now though, when you're with Billy and you're with like a megastar, yeah. what's the first, is it Wembley? Is it the garden? What's your first big, big, big gig? Yeah, like, what's the first big gig you guys do? What do you mean getting out of the theaters and clubs? Yeah, when you're out of the clubs and you're going to like the garden or Wembley or... Okay, the, the first the first gig we did was the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs with a Toronto Maple Leafs play. Okay. Um, and it was a big gig because they wanted to see if we could uh, go from the theaters where it was very intimate. You know, Billy would talk to the crowd, light up a cigarette before New York City, if that could translate right. in an arena. Right. And, and fortunately, well, which, we were which, able to which do album, Which album were you up to? I'm sorry. Oh, Stranger. The Stranger got us into arenas. Yeah. yeah. Turnstiles was clubs and theaters. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. But and then uh, it wasn't until, gee, wasn't until almost Stormfront that we started to play the stadiums. So what was it like? Like playing Shea Stadium or playing the Garden, if your hometown, when you do that for the first time, and that has to be just crazy. You know, it's funny. I, I, I wanted to do this so badly when I was in school. You know, it was my dream that people wrote my yearbook. They wrote, uh, "Keep your head together, and and one day you'll play Madison Square Garden." And and you know, it's I, I loved Steve Winwood uh, back when I was in high school. I loved the band Traffic. And um, somebody wrote my yearbook. They said, uh, keep your head together and one day you'll play with Steve Winwood. And, I, I, and he actually came and played on the Bridge album with us. And I got him to, I showed him the yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fabulous. That's so uh, fabulous. Did your parents get to go see you play in, in a place like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom used to um, uh, have two signs. One, one said, on one side, oh no, she had a T-shirt. It said on the front, "My son is," and then on the back, it said, "Billy Joel's drummer." And then she had another sign that said, "Mom," that she would hold up while we were playing, so I know where she was. But sometimes she held it upside down, and it said, "Wow." Yeah. Oh my God, that's so cute. Did uh, they had? Did your father come around to? I mean, oh, you get yeah. He got you your first kit, so obviously he wanted you to play. Um, oh, oh yeah, he came around. He was very, very proud of it. He used to come backstage, you know, and tell jokes. Everybody, you know, <laughs> he was a riot. That's that's just lovely. So okay, so how did you get into all of this? Kids who kids rock, kid, kid, little, little kids rock, little kids rock. How how did that happen for you? Little kids rock is the organization run by Dave Wish. Mm -hmm. I think you've met Dave. Um, uh, it, it goes into the schools where the music program has uh, been taken out. It's the uh, underprivileged schools, you know, like in Harlem and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
if a kid uh, becomes a member, if they teach the teachers, the actual teachers, to how to play um, like three chords on a guitar. And if they feel like if a kid learns one chord, if he learns an E chord, mm-hmm. he can play like 25 songs. <laughs> I mean, seriously, seriously. And if he learns the second chord in the, pro- the progression, which is A, he's up to 50 songs. <laughs> then if he learns the B, the B chord, which is the complete progression, the blues right. progression, yeah. he can, 150 songs he can play. So, and you teach them what they want to learn rather than taking I love that. Beethoven and, you know. I love that. Going. Yeah. So, so as you teach them each chord, are they learning how to play the song that goes with the songs that go with that yes, chord? Yes, yes, they are. And um, so, can you tell me a song that they what, what can they play just from the, the E chord? Um, you can play a song called Rum. Oh, oh, tomorrow never knows. It's like one chord, the Beatles. Don't know if you're my relaxing, oh, not your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah. If they stick with the lessons for a year, mm-hmm. they get to keep the guitar that they were given. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The drummers get sticks and there's drum sets for them to play. Yeah. By the way, there's like a million people on this thread who said, I was at a certain gig and lived through a drumstick at me. Like everybody's telling me that you threw drumsticks at them. Great. Great. <laughs> Melanie Taylor, you know Melanie Taylor, the singer, she said she caught one of your drumsticks. Yeah, um, I had a lawsuit with drumsticks once. How come? Because the woman said I, I, I split her, uh, I pelted her with drumsticks. Oh my God. No. I never pelted anybody, but there was a lawsuit. Uh, you know, she was suing for millions of dollars. Oh my, did you, I hope you lost. Oh, but the insurance company took, she probably got like 50 grand. She probably got beat up in the parking lot and she said she got hit with drumsticks. Oh my God. Yeah, um, yeah but, anyway. but they sue everybody when they sue. They don't just sue me. They sue, they sued me, they sued Billy, they sued Ron Delsner. Oh my know, God. All, everybody. And she had pictures of her with drumstick wounds? No, her face, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so so how did you do this uh, This Little Kids Rock? Well, what made you get become a part of this? Well, when I was, uh, I had been living in back in New York again <clears throat> for about two years, and I got a phone call from uh, Sabian. I was endorsing Sabian symbols. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys from Sabian, Peter Stairs, called me up and he said, look, we support this organization called Little Kids Rock. It's brand new. And they're doing, uh, there's they, uh, a writer that's doing a mag- magazine article about them in uh-huh. Harlem school. They're up in Harlem. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if a celebrity shows up and is there, the article will be bigger. Would you go? I said, yeah, sure. And that was, that was probably like 14 years ago that that happened, mm-hmm. you know? And every year it, it kept getting bigger. Dave Wish started a little kid's rock in a school in LA, in the worst section of LA. And uh, he had 20 kids that, that uh, were part of Little Kids Rock. And just this past year, the 500,000th kid has gone through Little Kids Rock. 
Oh, definitely intense. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I came to see you and Ricky doing a thing. Was that a little kids rock thing? You were doing a concert and there were there were kids there. Do you? It, it was in it was in like Orange County or something. Do you remember? I can't. I don't know what it was, but you and Ricky were doing something and there were amateurs and and yeah, we we do this other thing, uh, old camp jam. We were doing that with kids. Maybe that. Uh, we also did this other charity um, in. Um, in Washington, D.C., it, it's for kids, you know, with cancer and stuff. You do a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I, I think it's wonderful that you do. So how did Clean Getaway, what, what, uh, how did you guys start? What, what, I know Ricky started it, but what what's that about and why do you do it? Well, before you had Clean Getaway, we uh, were playing one of these benefits. Uh -huh. And uh, we were doing a sound check. Everybody else left the stage. Me and Ricky started to play some old R&B songs. Just me and Ricky. And yeah. after that, I, I said to him, you know, we both live in, in New York. Why don't, why don't we start a band that does these R&B songs? So he called a bunch of his friends and, and people we knew, Christine Ullman and, uh, you know, people like that. And mm -hmm. um, we had started the NYC Hit Squad. Right, right, right. Right. And then that kind of turned into Clean Getaway. Uh, but now with Clean Getaway, the difference is that Ricky write, writes the songs for right. Clean Getaway. And, and in the hit, hit Squad, you're doing covers? The Hit Squad was all covers, all, all R&B songs. I actually yeah. saw you at, at, at uh, what's the club in New York on the Upper West Side? I, I saw you guys at the Hit Squad. Um, the Iridium. You came but, to but, Iridium. Iridium, yes, exactly. And, but, um, yeah, a clean getaway now. I mean, Ricky's doing amazing things. He got uh, a program going now at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where once a year we go in and we play, and we do all these uh, – songs about sobriety and he's got some great people on it uh he had uh ganya Rivon, remember her from uh, ten wheel drive she oh was wow sober for years and and mm -hmm. she came up and sang uh kathy valentine from the go-go's sober you know and we all played each other's songs okay so now tell tell everybody what the purpose of the why why clean getaway started what is the purpose what is what is the goal of clean getaway the goal of clean getaway is like this is the deal. When you get mm -hmm. sober, you know, you're used to going out to clubs and hearing music and and being in bars and listening to bands and stuff like that. A lot of people get sober and they don't want to do that. They're afraid to go to a bar and stuff like that. So clean getaway uh, is the type of band that will play a concert with great musicians in it. Uh, you, you know, musicians from other bands who are all also sober, and will do concerts. But people who just don't want to go to bars anymore, but still want to rock, you know, that's what we do. Uh, Richie Super uh, has a has a uh, a recovery place that's based on music, and when the Lords played in in Florida, we went to his his place and we played for the for the people. You know, mm -hmm. it's a great thing because you know people that go to bars and stuff like that. They, they they get loaded and they start fights and they you know they don't appreciate what's going on. But when you get somebody that's sober in the audience that mm -hmm. knows what it's like to rock and now can see clearly, mm -hmm. they appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. You know that 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 there's people that are actually doing this and doing it sober. You know, and you also know, all the songs that Ricky writes are kind of they're they're geared to that mindset, to that sober mindset. Oh yeah, he writes great songs. He really does. He really really does. Really does. 
you know, um, he's really good, Ricky. I love him. So do I, and and uh, both you guys, and uh, it's been a, it's been a, a long time. I go back a long way. So, so you have a lot. Of, you must have had a shit ton of gigs canceled. What, what when you when COVID hit? How did your life? Your life must have blown up. I'm imagining. Oh my God, uh, our manager kept calling and going. I can't believe this. They're canceling gigs that are that are next month. They're canceling them already. It's like what? Just next month? <laughs> wow! And then it kept going. Like this gig is 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 in August, and they're canceling it. And this gig is in September, and they're canceling it. Oh no! Now they're canceling New Year's Eve of of 2020. Oh no! You know, and, and it's like things are being pushed now into 2021. So, all right. So that's what I want to ask you. Like, do you have things on hold for 2021? Yeah, yeah. A lot of when, stuff is. When's being your pushed. first gig? When's your first hold gig? What? what? When's your first hold gig scheduled oh, for? I got to look at my calendar. It's. I mean, approximately. Well, I have a hold. Well, I got some gigs that are still on. They haven't canceled them yet. For when? Which is weird because one's in a in a in a restaurant, like in in um, in uh, New Hall, Pennsylvania. When? It's October. This so this fall. This fall. And the odds that that's going to happen are slim to none. Yeah. 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 But other things are they're getting rebooked. Or they're getting rebooked on hold. How is it working? Oh, getting rebooked into mm -hmm. the next year. Mm -hmm. Like um, we have gigs in Florida for February. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully those it, something will happen that that those will happen. They're in theaters. You know. I mean, what's your, what's your real thought on that? Do you, do you think you're going to get to do that in February? Do you think we're going to be at that place? Well, I think outdoor gigs have a better chance of actually being done than indoor gigs. Yeah. Because, you know, you're outside, fresh the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I really don't know. So what do you do in the meantime? So while you, so you're doing some drive-in gigs, and I'm sure there's going to be more and more of those now that they're finding out that that works. I'm sure they'll start, yeah. the promoters will start ramping those up, I'm guessing. Yeah. Do you have a bunch of those or are those just brand new starting? Well, this is brand new starting. This is, this is uh, you know, I had heard about this um, like about a month or six weeks after this, this whole shutdown happened. They, they said that they were going to try to do this thing, and now it's becoming a reality that they right. actually can do it. So that that's really cool. Um, but as far as playing inside, I don't think that's going to happen for a long time. I mean, I just heard that James Taylor and Bonnie Ray had pushed their tour back to September of September of 2020, maybe 22. They they pushed it way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's what's happening because you know, with a big tour like that. It takes a lot, you know. You got to book the venue. You got to get the right days. You got to hire trucks, and sound, and all kinds of stuff like that. So it takes a lot to plan it. So they're, 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 that's the safe thing to do is to wait, wait. But you so know, how, just, how do you? Um, it's one day at a time, as it is we know with everything. How everything. how do you like? Are you are you okay? Financially, that you can sit this out. Um, what, well, what, what, what else can you do? Well, I'm really lucky that my wife still is working. You know, uh, working from home. And she's got uh, a good. 
she's doing well, you know, I mean, she's, it, it's, we're in this apartment, the three of us, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. We haven't been, we said today, we took a walk together and we said today, we haven't been in the apartment this long ever before, you know, just, it's kind of, it, it's crazy, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, but you know, what really saved me in this whole thing when it first came down, uh, the virus first happened, we were in the process of editing the book. I mean, we had big plans of, of doing a, a book, book tour. Huh? A book tour. Yeah, book tour, but starting uh, the book release at the cutting room, the oh. band was going to play. It, oh. you know, it was going to be a big party and everything. But I that, had when my book came out. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, but... Um, you know, that Torchmar played at my uh, book release. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. But um, the book has kept me busy, you know, because then we had to go through all the editing. Then we had to go through all the pictures. And now with the press, it's like cuckoo. I'm doing something every day. That's a really good thing that you're that you're able to do these kind of things and promote liberty, life. And the Billy in the Pursuit of Happiness, and everybody, it's available uh, so they can get this on Amazon and they can, uh, yeah. Um, so that's really great that you have this ability to still promote it and at least, and it, you did like so incredible, maybe because you have a captive audience and everybody's online all the time, it might have helped, right? Maybe. Yeah, it, it definitely, it, you know, people, they're not going out, they're not going to movies, um, so they're reading. Yeah. They're reading. If they go to the beach and they social distance, they're sitting in a chair. What are they doing? They're reading. Absolutely. And summer is the best time for books. Yeah. Best time. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate that way. And like you know, you don't see the money for a long time, but uh, you know, maybe uh, ever if you're a person like me. No, a little bit, a little bit. You, but, you to be rich on a book, you got to be Michelle Obama, I think. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they say like a bestseller, uh, New York Times bestseller, it's 10,000 books it takes to get on that list. Right. It's like, and you think you sold, you know, I've sold thousands of books, but I'm, I'm not close to a New York Times bestseller yet, you know? Right, right. I, yeah. But you're doing, it's doing great. You're doing great. So now, how did you become a writer, Liberty? How, how did, how, how, what prepared you? And you, did you have any help with this? Because I think I read something. I had a, um, an editor, mm -hmm. you know, um, like like the uh, drum part. You know, after every chapter, there's something about my drums. Mm -hmm. That was one chapter, and uh, the editor said, "You know, we should split that up and put it after every other chapter because it's the longest chapter in the book. So it might be cool if if it always goes back to that." That's you know, brilliant. Yeah, which really, really worked out well. But, you know, it, it's really weird um, when I think about it. Uh, I never took lessons on the drums. I don't know how to read music, don't know how to write music, but I played with one of the biggest single artists ever. Yeah. I barely made it out of high school, and I just wrote a book. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. You've really maximized all of your gifts. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really fun book. It's a really fun read. You're a good writer. It's fun. 
Well, it's not about drums, uh, not just about drums. It's, it's mostly about your your family stuff is just insane. Your family is wacky. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of wacky. Um, Liberty, thank you so much for doing this. I always love talking to you, and I can't wait to, to see you play live again. It's been it's been uh, the last time I saw you play live. You guys were backing up. Oh God, what's that pop singer's name? Oh my God! It was at LA Live. Who was that? It was not Richard Marks. Was it Richard Marks? Yeah. It was not. Was it? No. No, no, no. no. It was. Um, What's his name? Oh shit! He's yeah. really famous. Jesse's girl. Jesse's girl. Yeah. What's his name? Um, oh God! I can't think of his name. This is really we are so old. I can't think of his name. And God, oh God! Now I have to look him up because now I can't think of his name. Um, all right, wait a minute. Keep talking, and I'm gonna look up his name. Oh, oh. Jesse's girl. Yeah, who the hell was it? Um, Jesse's girl. Uh, a B C D E F G. Oh God, it's, it's not even. It didn't even come up on my thing. Wait. Oh, this is so pathetic. Jesse's girl. Rick, Rick Springfield. I didn't there even find. Go. I just remembered. There you go. <laughs> you know that's that's my thing at this age is that I forget. And about a year ago, if I would forget, I would have to Google eventually because I would go and see and I couldn't come up with it. But now I'm taking these these supplements that help your brain. And now if I wait like two, three minutes, it'll come. Well, I'll tell you what, the supplements might not be helping your brain, but your hair looks terrific. <laughs> hey, you know, that's another thing about this whole COVID thing. Like, what's Anna doing about that? Has she gone to the salon? Has she gotten a haircut? Paulie, um, her hairdresser, uh, comes to her and okay. wears a mask and, you know, outside and they cut her hair. I couldn't talk my hairdresser into it. So I went four months without a haircut or without color. And I was like getting really creative how I was standing. So you couldn't tell that I had a whole yarmulke of hair up here. Oh, <laughs> Well, you don't have to worry about such things. Somebody's saying they want no, your hat. No, 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 no. It's Charlie Flotter. No, no, no. Remember George Flotter? Yeah. His son, Charlie, who's actually an actor and a wonderful actor, he's on here and going, I lives a legend and I want that hat. <laughs> I haven't been reading the comments and the questions because I've been monopolizing you, but I'll go back and, and I'll read them after the show. And if there's something that somebody wants an answer to, I'll tag you on it so you can answer their question. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Thank you so much for doing this. I adore you. You're not only one of my favorite people, but you seriously are one of the greatest drummers alive that has ever played rock and roll. And I have watched you kick a, a, some of your heroes' ass live. And, um, you know, it, it's um, all good things to you. I'm so thrilled that your book, Liberty, Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness, is uh, a bestseller. And who knows, maybe you'll get that New York Times bestseller list. That would be nice. That would be nice. And you know, if you're ever around and you hear we're playing somewhere, you just come. I, 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 I cannot wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. My love to Anna and to your girls. And stay safe and stay healthy. I adore you. And when you come to Williamsburg, when this lifts and you go visit your daughter, let me know. I definitely will. We'll go eat pizza. There you go. All right, girl. <laughs> I love you, Liberty. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody.